Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Stay tuned for today's message. Enjoy, and God bless. If you would like to give to our uh the churches in India that are that are named Restoration Church, you can do that one time. You can do that monthly. Just just note on your giving envelope that it's to go to Restoration Church of India, or just say the a lot of link, and it doesn't matter either way. We'll make sure it goes to them. And the third thing is, you notice that several of us are wearing red today. And some of you are probably wondering what is that all about. Well, it is to show unity as a church in light of all this happening in America that is spewing hate, separation, and division. One of our members, Julie Washington, sent, out a, sent me a text, and she had also put it on Facebook, requesting that those who would wear red as a show of unity. Why red? Because on the night that God sent the death angels through Egypt, he said, upon every house where I see the blood, I will pass them by. And we want to make a statement that not only are we united, but we are united because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. And also that in this church, there is no place for hatred. Doesn't matter if you part of the alt-right or the alt-left. You ought not be here if you think that way. Because we are one body, one body of Christ. And, and we don't want nothing else. So if you have an opinion that is extreme, I'm sure there's a church somewhere that will satisfy what you believe in. But as Restoration Church, that's not who we are. Amen. So thank you for allowing me to get that little commercial out of the way. I also want to welcome our first-time guests. Thank you for joining us today. If you will, please go in Connection Corner after the service. Come by with one of our tables and, 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 uh, and visit us and, and learn more about Restoration Church, as well as our online viewers. Thank you for joining us today, and I pray that you will experience the presence of God wherever you are this morning. Amen? Well, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm sorry. Make that Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to we're going to pick up in the last four verses of chapter 2 because it's very important. Uh, it kind of sets the tone for what we're going to share in Ephesians 3. So we're actually going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And we're going to read on into Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. You can follow on the overhead or behind me if you like. I'm reading today from the New King James Version. And it says... Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together. Everyone say together. God's building us up together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. For this reason, 
I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles, that is us, should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you which is your glory. Father we thank you for the reading of your word. Now dear God I just ask you to bless the speaking of your word this morning. Holy Spirit, I yield my memories to you, sir. My ears, my mouth, my eyes to see what you'd have me see. That you may be glorified this, this morning, that Jesus may be exalted in his house. God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. I pray that each heart has been prepared for your word. Now, Father, we give ourselves to you now. Holy Spirit, speak. Have your way this morning, sir. Glorify Jesus in this house, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Brother Mario. Is that brother not an amazing pianist? Yes, yes, yes. He's very humble, too. Well, today, as we continue the series, The Journey of a Jesus Follower, I'm going to speak to you a message entitled, You Can't Never Always Sometimes Tell. You can't never always sometimes tell. I know some of you are thinking, that's about the craziest title I've ever heard for a sermon. And I can't say that I disagree with you. It is pretty crazy. But I chose this title to emphasize what some may see as the unpredictable nature of God. You may have faith 
that God is going to show up. You may have faith that God is going to do something on your behalf, but you don't know how, you don't know when, and you don't know where. You can't never always sometimes tell. Now, these words were, uh, 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 were, were taken from a book I'm reading by Mark Batterson entitled The Circle Maker. And I would encourage you, if you like to read, get this book. If you don't like to read, get this book. <laughs> the Circle Maker by Mark Ballison. In it, Mark writes about how to pray circles around your biggest dreams and your greatest fears. When you pray circles around what God has promised, when you pray circles around your dreams and your fears, you set yourself up for an outpouring of God's grace and favor. When you pray circles, you can't never always sometimes tell. You just don't know what is going to happen when you live by faith. You can't never always tell. It's both a tongue twister and a mind bender. So let me give you a simple translation of it. It simply means anything can happen. With God, all things are possible. You can't never always sometimes tell. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So when you put your faith and trust in God, you can't never always sometimes tell, but you can be assured of this. With, with God, anything can happen. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 Continue the theme of being saved, sanctified, and justified by faith because of the grace of God. You got to get that. We have been saved by God's grace, sanctified and justified only by the grace of God. And Paul starts this chapter by identifying the current state of his earthly existence. He writes, I am the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. As he was under house arrest in Rome for preaching, Jesus saves. The religious leaders in Jerusalem who felt threatened by Christ's teachings and who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah pressured the Romans to arrest Paul. So Paul finds himself in prisoner under house arrest. Even though he was in prison, Paul maintained his firm belief that God was in control of his life and God was in control of his future, Lindsay. Doesn't matter what the past has been like. Paul understood that when you're in the will of God, Sometimes things will happen that you may not like 
or you may not understand. You can't never always sometimes tell. You just don't know what's going to happen as you live out your life for God. But if you hold fast to your profession of faith, God will give you a perspective about your circumstances that exceeds your natural comprehension. Paul said, I am a prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles. He was a man on a mission. He was a man given to serving God no matter what. He was sold out for Christ. He considered his life but dung, useless, worthless, meaningless apart from God. But please understand something. Paul was not a prisoner of Christ Jesus because of natural change or because he was under house arrest. He was a prisoner of Christ Jesus because he was sold out to the cause of advancing the kingdom of God. You can be bound in the natural but free in the spirit. You can also be free in the natural, but bound in the spirit. To a Christian, natural conditions do not enslave us to this world. I'm going to say that again. Whatever condition you're facing, whatever circumstances you're going through, those things do not enslave you to this world. What enslaves us to this world is when we believe those things are greater than God. What enslaves us to this world is when we give more power to the devil than we ascribe to Jesus. What enslaves us to this world is when we allow our faith and trust in God to become weakened Because of trials, temptations, and tribulations. But you can also be enslaved to Jesus. What enslaves us to Jesus is when we're sold out to him no matter what. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, no matter what. No matter what. We become prisoners of Christ Jesus when we place our hope, our faith, our very existence under the umbrella of God's grace. Do you allow the circumstances you face make you wonder if God has lost control of this world? We can look to what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia and say, God's lost control. I tell you, God's not lost control. Just got some crazy people out there doing crazy things. You can look at the circumstances you're facing. And you can wonder, 
Has God lost control of the things that are impacting my life? Be like Paul and make yourself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So that no matter what happens, you know that God is still in control. You're going to be a prisoner of one of two things. Either you're a prisoner of Christ or you are a prisoner of your circumstances. If you're not sold out to Christ, it will be easy to sell out to this world. Do you hear me? If you're not sold out to Christ, it will be so easy to sell out to this world. So choose, as Paul did, to be a prisoner of Christ. Paul writes, I'm a prisoner of Christ because of the dispensation. Everyone say dispensation. Dispensation. The dispensation of the grace of God which has been given to me for you. Now the word dispensation means Exemption from a rule or usual requirement. Paul was saying we're no longer under the law, but we're now under grace. And in biblical terms, dispensation is defined as the method or scheme according to which God carries out his purposes towards men. Dispensation is the general state of or ordering of things. It is a system of revealed promises regulating human affairs. This word dispensation originates from the Latin word dispensatio, which means management or, ch- or charge. It means a giving out of something. So what Paul teaches here is when Christ came, God established a new world order. People talk about a new world order. It's already been established. It was established 2,000 years ago by God. The new world order is that we now live under the dispensation of God's grace. This is an order based on his grace instead of your works. But the dispensation of grace speaks to more than just an order, a time, or a period. It also speaks of stewardship. (laughs) Stewardship. Paul was a steward of God's grace. You are a steward of God's grace. Paul had been assigned by God the special work of preaching the good news to the Gentiles. He writes in verses 3 through 6 about that stewardship with these words, how that by revelation God made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by by the Spirit to his holy prophets, apostles, and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So Paul recalls the mission given to him by God. It was to preach that salvation 
has now come to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. A salvation not based on keeping the law, but a salvation based on the dispensation of God's grace that we place ourselves under when we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A salvation that was especially challenging to the Old Testament Jewish mindset. So Paul was also tasked with helping believing Jews and believing Gentiles accept each other as partners in God's covenant of salvation. You know what's so appalling to me about what took place yesterday? You got people out there in the name of God. Promoting separation, division, and bigotry. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to promote the unity of man. To take Jew and Gentile, listen, who probably could not despise or hate each other any more than what we see taking place now. Yet Paul said, this grace that we now live under is a grace that allows people that were once enemies to become brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the power I want in my life. That's the presence I want in my life. That's the mindset that I need in my life. So Paul was tasked with helping believing Jews and believing Gentiles accept each other as partners in God's covenant of salvation. And although prophesied in the Old Testament that Gentiles would also come to God, the method and how they would come was a mystery. Because you can't, never, always, sometimes tell. It was a hidden truth. And neither Jew nor Gentile understood how it would happen until Jesus came. But even then, it remained a mystery to many. So Paul writes to give forth revelation about the plan of God, the mystery of God, that will bring salvation not to a select few, but to all who would believe and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. So in verses 7 and 8, he emphasizes the importance of understanding what it means to live by grace. Living by grace is not just a catchy phrase that sounds good. Living by grace is not just a, 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 a good idea to be accepted or rejected. But as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, it is paramount 
that you understand what it means to live by the grace of God. Paul writes, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Please note that God's grace is a gift. It is not something that you can earn. It is a gift that God extends to you. He writes to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. When Paul made himself a prisoner of Jesus, when he made himself a servant of the gospel, he received God's grace that gave him the ability to effectively preach the gospel of Christ. You got to get that. It wasn't that Paul was so gifted. It was not that he was this great orator. He was just a man who trusted in the grace of God to do what he did for Christ. A grace that we all must rely on, not only to do what we do for God, but also to endure the hardships and temptations that would assail us. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul writes, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. Now listen to this. Paul was was getting these these revelations from God. God was downloading into him. Just downloading revelation after revelation after revelation. And what Paul's saying is, you know what? Man, you get all this revelation, you can easily get puffed up. You begin, to, you begin to talk about, but well, look what I know. Look what God revealed to me. Paul said, lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of these revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. He writes, concerning this thing, and it's been speculated what this thing was. We just know whether a messenger or Satan. Know whether the spirit, don't know if a sickness, I don't have a clue what it is. But I know this, Paul said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. <laughs> he doesn't say Jesus took it away. He said, My Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul writes, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want to pause for just a moment and let you think about that. Let you dwell on that. Paul said, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest 
upon me. What you do for God, how you endure temptations and trials, you do so by God's grace. When you trust in his grace and not your abilities, the power of God will be made available to you. And because of his grace, we discover the ability, the courage, and power needed to be an effective witness of Jesus. By his grace, we find the will and the want. Say that with me, will and want. You got to have both. We find the will and the want to resist Satan. Some of you got the will, but you don't have the want. Some of you got the want, but you don't have the will. You need both. When you trust in God's grace, his grace will show up at times and in ways you may not expect because you, you can't never always sometimes tell. Our part is to trust God and believe. When we do, his grace manifests in ways beyond human reasoning. Paul said, I do what I do only by the grace of God. And I'm always blown away by this statement that the apostle made about himself. He said, I am less than the least of all the saints. What I do for God, I do only by his grace. This is the apostle Paul speaking. The one who wrote 13 out of 27 New Testament books. 14 if you include the book of Hebrews which some ascribe to him. By less than the least of all the saints, Paul is saying that without God's help, without God's grace, he cannot do God's work. If Paul could not do God's work without his grace, what makes us think we can? If Paul needed God's grace to withstand the onslaught of Satan, why do we think we can go at it alone? God chose Paul to preach the gospel, not because he was a great orator, but because he relied on the grace of God. And because he relied on God's grace, God gave him power and ability to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. God gave him revelation. When you give yourself to the Lord, when you trust in his grace to live out his will, to live out his purposes, God will give you the power and ability to do great exploits for him. Amen. He will do it. He will do it. So do not try to minister in your own power. The Bible tells us, I says, do not try to minister or to do ministry work in your own power. The Bible tells us in Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Let God build the house. Let his grace rest upon you. Let him show you how to do what he's called you to do and trust in him and him alone. Amen. Life without God is difficult. It's difficult. And all of our work in ministry, at home, on the job, is best accomplished when we trust in God's grace. Paul concludes today's text by saying, God intends, you got to get this, 
My last point. God intends to use the church to teach principalities and powers in the heavenly places about the manifold wisdom of God. That tells me this world is a classroom. And we, by God's grace, have been made his instructors. We're the teachers. But what are we teaching? What are you teaching? In your classroom of life, what are you teaching? Principalities and powers are watching you. Principalities and powers, it could either be angels, angels of God, or devils who oppose God, or probably both, okay? They're watching your life. They're watching you. What are you teaching them? Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, school is in. We're teaching principalities and powers about the manifold wisdom of God that is expressed through us and upon us by his grace. If we're the instructors and the world is a classroom, then we are somehow responsible for the lessons being taught. And please know this. This classroom is different than the schools of this world. You see, in this school, there is no recess. In this school, there is no spring break. There is no fall break. This school never lets out for summer. This is a 24-7, 365-days-a-year time of learning, so we must never let our guards down thinking we've got this thing figured out. Because in this school, you can't never always sometimes tell. Yet God sees all and God knows all. Our part is to pray and seek his face that we may live daily by his grace. And how you pray And what you pray will reveal what you believe about God versus what you believe about you or the circumstances that you may be facing right now. It will reveal whom you trust in the most. I want to conclude or close my time with you by reading to you from, again, the book The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson about a Man who became a legend. Listen to this. Young children danced in the downpour like it was the first rainfall they'd ever seen. And it was. Parents threw back their heads, opened their mouths, and called raindrops like they were libations. And they were. When it hasn't rained in more than a year, Raindrops are like diamonds falling from the sky. 
it will be forever remembered as the day. The day stun- thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day puddle jumping became an act of praise. The day the legend of the circle maker was born. It was the first century BC and a devastating drought threatened to destroy a generation. The generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off. Nearly four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory that it seemed like a false memory. And God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, an eccentric sage who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honey. And even if the people could no longer hear God, Honey believed that God could still hear them. When rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. But during a drought, it's the only thought. And Honey was their only hope. Famous for his ability to pray for rain, it was this day, the day, that Honey would earn his moniker. With a six-foot staff in his hand, he began to turn like a math compass. His circle of movement was rhythmical and methodical. 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. And what seemed like hours, but had only been seconds, Honey stood inside the circle he had drawn. Then he dropped to his knees and raised his hands to heaven. With the authority of the prophet Elijah, who called down fire from heaven, Honey called down rain. Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. The word sent a shudder down the spines of all who were within earshot that day. It wasn't just the volume of his voice, it was the authority of his tone. Not a hint of doubt. This prayer didn't originate in the vocal cords. Like water from an artesian well, the words flowed from the depth of his soul. His prayer was resolute yet humble, confident yet meek, expectant yet unassuming. Then it happened. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. An audible gas swept across the thousands of congregants who had encircled Honey. Every head turned heavenward as the first raindrops parachuted from the sky, but Honey's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop, but Honey wasn't satisfied with a sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, he lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration and said, Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned into a torrential downpour that our witnesses said no raindrop was smaller than an egg in size. It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. Honey stayed and prayed inside his protracted circle. Once more, he refined his bold request. 
Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, blessing, and grace. Then like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot and humid August afternoon, it began to rain calmly, peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. It had been difficult to believe the day before the day, the day after the day, it was impossible not to believe. Eventually, the dirt turned into mud and back into dirt again. After quenching their thirst, the crowd dispersed, and the rainmaker returned to his humble hovel on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Life returned to normal, but the legend of the circle maker had been born. Honey was celebrated as a hometown hero by the people whose lives he had saved. But some within the Sanhedrin called the circle maker into question. A faction believed that drawing a circle and demanding rain dishonored God. Maybe it was those same members of the Sanhedrin who would criticize Jesus for healing a man's shriveled hand on the Sabbath a generation later. They threatened Honey with excommunication, but because the miracle could not be repudiated, Honey was ultimately honored for his act of prayerful bravado. The prayer that saved the generation was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol, and the legend of Honey the Circle Maker stands forever as a testament to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. With that in mind, I want to ask you this question. Who are the honies in this room? If you pray and live by faith and trust in God, your life will be filled with all the grace of God. And it it will be filled with the God of all grace. Will you place your trust in the grace of the living God? And that concludes today's message. Thanks again for joining our Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We pray that you have been encouraged and empowered to continue to follow Jesus. If you'd like to learn more about Restoration Church, please visit our website by going to r4sq.org. We pray you have a great week. God bless.